1: Knicks fans how you doing your boy Jonathan Macri with you for another edition of the Knicks film school podcast um really happy that we got today's episode off the ground in short notice um we actually had an original guest who uh, I'm not gonna say who it was because we'll we'll get him on another episode soon but that had to cancel last minute so we were scrambling 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 and uh then, uh, on NBA.com, Steve Ashburner um, dropped a and a with Nick's head coach, Tom Thibodeau. Um, so we're like, hey, I wonder if we can get Steve Ashburner on. Steve Ashburner, for those who don't know, uh, has been covering the league. He's a senior writer for NBA.com. been covering the league for, I think, about as long as I've been alive, or whereabouts. And, um, yes, he did this Q&A with uh, Tom, uh, but in addition to the Q&A, which everybody should go read, the, the link is in the description to this episode, has known Tom Divino, uh since he first came into the league when he was an assistant coach with Minnesota back in the late 80s. Uh, so we actually, funny enough, didn't spend really any time on the substance of the interview that he did, which, again, you can go read for yourselves. And we more just kind of talked about uh, some, some stories with Tibbs. Uh, fair warning. Your host, me. Is a is a fan of Tom Tabano? I don't. Did anybody know that? Did anybody know, listening out there, that I'm a fan of Tom Tabano? And that may have um, thrown through with uh, Ted. Although I tried to conduct the interview as professionally as possible, I'll let you be the judge. Um, so yeah, great great conversation with Steve Ashburner about uh, Tibbs and about the Knicks. He has, and we actually touch on some Giannis stuff at the end. Uh, I thought he had some really good insight to offer there. So that's coming up in a few minutes. Um, We do have a a couple of bits in Nick's news that uh, might as well touch on. Uh, So one is New York made official what I'm pretty sure has been the case for a long time, um, although they obviously have not announced it until now. And that is they officially hired uh, Gerson Rosas as, let me get the official title here, Senior VP of Basketball Operations. So. Rosas was first reported as being, you know, something, uh, I think a consultant was his official term uh, with the Knicks dating back before last summer. And then reporting during the Donovan Mitchell trade talk started to come out that he was the one on the phone actually dealing with, uh, I guess it was Justin Zanuck on the other end on Utah's side. Um, So he's clearly been in a position of prominence for a while. Uh, we were all kind of wondering when it was going to be announced. I guess the only question mark was what he was going to be announced as. And it is worth noting, and I think, um, let's say Alder Ammo pointed this out on uh, on Twitter, that it's not GM, which is the position that Scott Perry held. And Scott Perry, of course, has, has gone on and is no longer with the organization. So they do still have an open GM spot. It's not Roses's spot. I mean, does that really matter? Uh, the GM is typically the person that when, you know, teams are calling and it's like the like the the it's like the person who's like the go to for you know day to day inquiries I guess for other teams, um, it's like you call you talk to the general manager. Um, could anybody take on that role? Sure. Um, have they distributed those responsibilities? I would guess that they have, but I do find it interesting that they are as of right now at least a team without a GM. So anyway, uh, that's on the the Rosas thing. I don't. I don't know. I don't really think it matters very much. Uh, the other little bit of news that I, I at least wanted to make note of, and it's kind of it's anticlimactic because he had... I'm talking about Trevor Keels. Trevor, so Trevor Keels, they had signed him to a contract. I forget what the nature of the contract was, or they maybe they tendered him a qualifying offer for a two-way, but when they went and signed, I forget if it was Nathan Knight or someone else that they added to the roster later on in the summer, they, they waived kills. Now that at that point meant that kills could go theoretically sign with any other team or do whatever he was going to do. Nobody, nobody else signed him. So he was still within the Knicks organization, technically, even though he was not under contract with the big club. Well, uh, a couple days ago, or yesterday, I guess, or two days ago, yeah. As you're listening to this, um, the they traded his G League rights to some other team that uh, the Iowa Wolves. Um, look, I, I I sent out a tweet when they originally waived him, or or you know, basically, it was very clear that he was not going to have a role in the organization anymore of any prominence. Uh, that basically, I thought it was well this was a waste of a draft pick and some people were like who gives a shit it's trevor keels it was a second round pick you know I, i'm like i'm kind of on the fence about it because it, it was a strange pick at the time um keels was and it felt like oh like why like there's other there were other good guys on the board he was the youngest player in that draft um And I just, yeah, I don't know. It was, to me, it was a strange, it was a strange pick at the time. He profiled as someone who like had a long, long, long way to go, but like didn't really have the outline of the sort of guy that the Knicks have been going after over the, at least this, this era. Um, And yeah, it was the 42nd overall pick. And again, after you get, I mean, after you get past the really, the 20s, like the mid-20s, it's like you're really, you know, you're 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 lucky if you get an NBA player. Um, I don't know. I just something about it rubbed me the wrong way a little bit. Uh, but I guess it's really not a big deal. If you were somewhere out there that was hoping for big things for from Trevor Keels, I guess you know what it is the thing that got me? It's been a year. You know, it's like if you're gonna draft the youngest player in the draft, which he was, or whereabouts who's the youngest player in the draft, like you want to. The whole notion behind that is like, okay, we're going to give him a long runway, and so I guess my question—it's not like again—it's the forty-second pick in the draft. Like, often most of the time, does not turn into an NBA player. But like, if you're if you're drafting the longest guy in the draft, there has to be a philosophy like, okay, we're going to give him a, a years to develop and show what he might be able to be if he's if he's given enough time, and so to waive the guy after a year just. I don't know something. I want to know what the process was there. That's it. That's that's my my little rant. Um, Not a big deal at the end of the day. That's really it. That's going on. I mean, I I could talk about the Dame stuff, but I. I mean, I feel like everybody's kind of in the same no at this point. The Raptors may be making a serious play, but maybe it's not that serious. And is it to try to you know pump up Miami's, you know, what they're willing to offer or whatever? I. It does seem like it's going to be either Toronto or Miami, and it does seem like it's going to happen before training camp um, starts, which is on Monday, of course. So it feels like a game trade is going to happen any any day, if not any hour. Uh, I wrote about it for Monday's Knicks Film School n- newsletter. If you want my extended thoughts on how I think this impacts the Knicks, feel free to go read that. Um, in short, I mean, I think if Miami gets in, Miami's going to be really, really good for the next couple of years. And I think the combination of him and Jamie and Bam will age well. And it already sucked losing to Miami in the playoffs. And if they get Dame and they, you know, have to face the Knicks again, it's not going to make it any easier. That said, I do think there was another angle to this, which is that if they go trade for Dame, I I find it very hard to believe that they're going to have enough left in the tank to trade for, whether it's Giannis or I guess, suppose maybe Joel B, but, but you know, at this point, who knows? So there is a part of me that's like, let's get Miami out of the running for the bigger star, the younger star, the, the star that puts them even further into the kind of championship race. That's part of my thinking, but then I'm just like, yeah, watch Miami go win the championship next year. Um, and then if Toronto gets him, I, it it is interesting because theoretically OG Ananobi would were going to be going to Portland in that trade, and does he then become, you know, a target again for the Knicks? He's already been a target for the Knicks, but apparently they they did not meet Toronto's asking price. So d- definitely, whatever happens with Dame, it will have an impact on the Knicks, um, one way or another. Uh, that's really it um all right enough for me uh here is my interview with steve ashburn joining me now on the Knicks film school podcast very very honored to have this guest on first time guest but someone that has been uh covering the nba for quite some time and I'm, i'm excited to pick his brain not only about his latest story but maybe if we have an extra couple of minutes about uh you know some of his some of his other uh time uh covering the sport that we love. Uh he is a senior writer for MBA, nba.com. Uh Steve ashburner how are you Steve?
2: I'm good, Jonathan. Thanks for having me on. I'm I'm
1: really really appreciative of you hopping on uh as you know, this time of year is where everybody's kind of, you know, getting their last good night sleeps uh in before uh the <laughs> games start. So, you know, I appreciate you taking a little bit of time and and the reason we uh, called you up is because you just did a, a Q&A with a man who is well-known around these parts, New York Knicks head coach, Tom Thibodeau. I want to get to some of what you discussed in a bit. Um, but first, I just, if you don't mind, could you say how the, the interview uh, came about?
2: Well, you know, um, each fall, at least for a number of years until COVID, the, uh, the, the National Basketball Coaches Association, the NBA Coaches Union, um they would have annual meetings and and the league would piggyback on this too to sort of introduce or explain to them uh rule changes interpretations this year for instance the um second coaches challenges the uh, flopping violations anything on on how those things are going to be called answer any questions the coaches have referees come in um a number of years ago the the man who was the executive director of that coaches union um he invited me to uh drop down i mean my base is on chicago and um so i i they had it in chicago every year and i would i would go in and grab these guys informally um for real quick interviews and that's kind of how it still takes place interesting thing is back back you know 10 12 years ago the um uh, they always had sponsors they had they had suit um, manufacturers and they had shoe um, companies and they they had uh, displays set up in like a banquet room at the hotel um, and the coaches would go through there and pick out the kind of suits they wanted for the coming season, pairs of shoes. I think it was gratis uh, that they were doing this, oh. to, you know, that the, the companies were behind it to get the promotion of seeing these coaches on the sideline, sure. with all the uh, the television attention and in front of the big crowds. And um, now the, uh, you know, with the change in dress code for the coaches post uh, COVID, um, you don't see those suit, suit uh, those clothiers are not aren't there anymore. The, uh, the shoe companies aren't there anymore. So it makes it a little trickier for me. I've got to be able to grab these guys mm. when they're on the move for the most most part and it didn't that had some stickiness that was good. I couldn't afford the suits or the shoes, never got mm-hmm. any. But um it was it was helpful because they they all invariably came through there. Uh but no that it's a it's a real courtesy of the uh, coaches association by working for the league's website. I mean, it's not a media event. It's not open to any outside media, mm-hmm. but they do allow uh that you know with me. So um I'm really appreciative of that. And I was I, I was able to see pretty much all the coaches and uh, grab, I don't know, a dozen of them for, uh, for short interviews and Tibbs, Tibbs and I go way back. So um, there was no way he was going to duck me.
1: Is it, yeah. You, you kind of stole my next question. So obviously your, your base is in Chicago. And I also noticed you have a little something about Minnesota uh, in your, yeah. in your Twitter bio there. Um, how far do you go back with Tibbs?
2: Well, when he first got to the NBA um, was the Timberwolves first year of expansion, 1989, uh, 90. Yes. And he had come in from, I believe, an assistant at Harvard. Um, he had coached as a head coach at Salem State, where he had had gone to school and played. And then he was an assistant at Harvard and um former NBA coach and the first Timberwolves coach, Bill Musselman, um, knew of or learned of of Tom and uh and hired him for his uh, inaugural staff. And and he was there for the two years that Musselman was Timberwolves coach and um I believe he went to Seattle after that that second year, they changed coaches. Musselman and crew got fired. Tom ended up, I think, as a, a scout in Seattle. Then he went down to San Antonio. He was there for a couple of yep. years. Uh, and, and including <laughs> I touched base again with him when he was down there because I set up an interview with um Dennis Rodman. Oh. And and, and good times. They, had, they had Tom. Uh, we met for lunch at uh, the Marriott in Orlando, right near the arena. And Tom was basically um, Rodman's usher. He, he, he brought him there, his chaperone, his, whatever you want to call it, his caddy. And he made sure that uh, Dennis got to the interview and was set still enough for the interview and then uh, got, got to his room. Okay. So um, yeah, I mean, Tom's had a great career and uh, you know he's he's not always the easiest guy i think for some people in media to get to know and the more of you there are i think the the um you know a little more receding he is in terms of uh how open and and you know how much he relies on boilerplate answers and stuff but you know when you when you when you do get to know him really genuine guy nice warm guy and uh uh, he has his set definite ways about how he expects this game to be played. And and I think that that's it's good to see because um, you like people that stick to their principles, stick to their guns.
1: I'm happy you said that because I um, you probably don't know this. I am. As probably as big a supporter of of Tom Thibodeau as there is in the in the Knicks, I, I'm a fan first and foremost, but uh, you know I uh, try to cover the team as unbiased as possible, um, and that's because of what you just said. I think it, it's become increasingly difficult as the world—I'll uh, just generally say—it gets more complicated to stick to your guns and to stick to your principles, and he clearly. Believes these things, and you know we could go through all the Tibbsisms. I know you know him as well as I do. He believes them in his core, and he believes that is the best way to that leads to winning basketball. Um, I'm curious if you think that that way of going about things is going out of style as the league, you know, continues to grow and maybe players get different, and and all the sorts of changes that the league, you know, is kind of going through.
2: Well, I mean, I, th- I think it is changing, and um, I don't know that it's all for the better. Um, I mean, one way of looking at Tom, and, and he gets this portrayal a fair amount, is that he's some sort of Stone Age relic and and dinosaur, and he's not, you know, uh, changing with the times and and uh, you know uh, adapting and improvising and and based on you know all the current trends. Well, yeah, that's one way to spin it. Yeah, another way is that. You know, he knows what's worked. There are certain universals in, in uh, sports and in basketball, um, both on the floor and X's and O's and off the court in, in dealing with people. And I think it's, it's refreshing, as I said earlier, that, that he would stick to those things. I think that there are concerns among coaches in this league that, um, the, the reins are being taken out of their hands when it comes to guiding teams, that it's the, uh, the analytic experts. And then the GMs who get that information and get those suggestions and they're told, you know, well, this guy needs to do this and he needs to be used only that way and only for these number of minutes. And he shouldn't be able to play tonight. And, you know, that's stuff where, you know, the intangibles and the feel of coaching a team and knowing these guys at the ground level in in ways that the GM probably doesn't and certainly the analytics staff don't. You know, it's not a it's not a math is bad kind of a uh, approach. It's just that it's not just that. This is not, you know, my view on it is baseball has always been more conducive to analytics because it's an individual uh, game within a team sport. Um, you know, it's pitcher batter. Um, you know, and and you can break things down much more individually, whereas basketball. Yeah, You know, even more so than than football is uh, interdependent. It's 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 interwoven. It's it's um, improvisational in a sense, because one guy moves this way. Somebody else moves that way. You know, you're not you're not working in the same static situation as uh, 60 feet, six inches uh, pitching slab to home plate. And, you know, football is at least sequential. You know, there's a snap, the quarterback drop. Receivers do this, you know, crossing patterns, blah, blah. It all happens sort of in a, in a certain order, but basketball, you don't know. I mean, the defense dictates certain things, the ball dictates certain things. um, uh, A a player on offense, breaking the play dictates other things. And you have to be able to react pretty quickly in the space of, uh, you know, 24 seconds. So, um, you know, I, I, I'm not saying analytics can't cope with that. Obviously we've, we've, gotten a whole bunch of good stuff from that, but to somehow say that's got us covered or that mostly has things covered, I don't think so. I think there's still a tug of war going on.
1: Hey there, Knicks fans. It's your boy, Jonathan Macri. You've been hearing me talk about Barry and his team over at the law offices of Weiss and Rosenblum for almost a year now. It's a partnership I'm very proud to be a part of because as a former personal injury attorney myself and a Knicks fan, I know the difference that a great legal team can make. Barry has been at this for over 35 years and has informed me that since the 2023 Knicks season ended, he has resolved cases in the amounts of $1.4, $1.5, $1.75, and $3.75 million, as well as obtaining winning results on many less significant cases. Just like the great basketball franchises, Weiss and Rosenblum's long track record of sustained excellent results speak for themselves. Visit them at weissandrosenblum.com today and explore for yourself, or better yet, give Barry a call at 212 366-6100, where he will offer a consultation on your possible matter completely free of charge, as well as chat about the upcoming Knicks season as he has been a rabid fan for over 50 years. You know the tagline. If you think you might have a case, talk to a veteran attorney, not a rookie. No case is too big or too small. That number again is 212-366-6100. Previous results do not guarantee future outcomes.
0: Just go to indeed.com slash blue wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's indeed.com slash blue wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: I think part of the criticism amongst like many fans, not even just younger fans, I think fans of all ages of, of Tibbs, is they perceive him as a guy who not that he will will shun analytics but you know now you know anybody me you any anybody on the street could could have access to so much of this lineup data you know i could go get a synergy account like the, we we all have access to the same stuff and i think a lot of them a lot of people are just looking for more acknowledgement from from him that he's at least considering these sorts of things and then i think about that and i go back to what you said about how he kind of look he knows what answers will just get him through the press conference like he's, he's he's a pro at this like reading his interview with you it was a great interview but like i kind of could have foreseen his answers to a lot of the questions that you asked him like right. he he knows exactly what he has to say what he doesn't have to say and so have to say so on and so forth so i'm curious if you i almost want to ask you to look inside his mind do you think he cares about the perception that a lot of people have of him as this, you know, kind of old, you know, stodgy dinosaur whose time is passing by, or is he just that focused on the task at hand?
2: I don't I, knowing Thomas. I do. I don't think he loses sleep over that. I mean, look, everybody's human and you don't want people, you know, to you're aware that people have harsh views towards you or how you go about your job. And you're proud of how you do that. Um, you know, that's not a pleasant thing. There's some, there's some, Friction there between those two positions, I would imagine, but um, I don't think it's colored his personality. I think I think he he knows the media from his vantage point and from years and years of dealing with us. Um, he still probably doesn't know, you know, all of us in, in, in terms of how we are from the inside, what our agendas are, whatever. Um, but you know, people on that side of it, they don't really have to. That's not their responsibility. Um, we cover them. They don't cover us. They just they just tolerate us. And some are good at it, some are too good at it. They're almost they're almost slick, and it's as if they're um they're gaining they think they're gaining longevity by maintaining a good media image when they'd be better served by coaching better or playing better or whatever it is. Um, you know, so it's it's a lot of gradation, a lot of grays, and um, I think. I think Tom um, isn't phased by the stuff he's heard. I know that there have been times, for instance, when when he was still with um, I think he was with Chicago. Maybe it was after he'd gone to Minnesota. And um, I saw him at summer league and was talking with him and sort of made a joke about his reputation for burning out guys, using up you know their minutes and their young legs, and how players you know later have many injuries or shorter careers sure. or, or you name it. And, and um, that's one that, 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 that one hits home. I know he's very, he's quick to point out that things aren't like they seem um, for one, it's not as uh, widespread as, as you would think. Um, you look at minutes and how guys are played for another. I mean, there's a different school of thought on, you know, the load management, sitting out games versus, sure lighter lighter practices or skip practices or you know the idea that that a hard practice for even 2 hours you know you got 22 more hours in a day and and what do you do with those hours i mean that's a big part of it especially now with all these training staffs and and physical maintenance and and all the uh the swaddling that these uh that these players get i mean they're valuable assets and so um the idea that a few more minutes when you're already lathered up in a game, when your competitive instincts are are on high, you know, that that's somehow, Oh no, no, no. He should have sat him down five more minutes that night. You know, it's just like, I think it is hard for a lot of people to, um, uh, to embrace that. And I think Tom is one of those guys.
1: Yeah. And I, you know, I, I appreciate about him that uh, at the very least, you know, everything is grounded in, in winning. Now, some fans even have a problem with that sometimes he, you know I think a lot of people think well you know could would it kill you to play this young player or that young player a few more minutes even if you might not you know get the win or, or whatever now of course though and that was more when he started now of course though wins are the the thing for the Knicks and you know they're not a contender this year but I think they're you know they're in it they're 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 perceived to be a playoff team do you think he is the sort of coach that can because listen until you do it you know, it's going to be a question. Do you think he is the sort of coach that can, you know, like the Spolestrals and like this Steve Kerr's and like, you know, Ty Lue that can take a team all the way uh, if he has, the obviously, with the caveat, if he has the talent?
2: Oh, I certainly do. I mean, you know, when you real lost some of those names, I mean, from Steve Kerr to Ty Lue, who's the third person you said? Uh, Eric, Eric Spolster. Yeah. I mean, they're not the same guy. They have different personalities. They have different uh, approaches they take to their jobs. Um, You know, Tom's worked for great people. He's worked for Doc Rivers. He worked for Greg Popovich. He worked for, you know, Jeff Van Gundy. Um, You know, he's, he's learned from these people. And like all these coaches, they take things and they throw out certain things and and, uh, deploy other things. Yeah. I don't see why not. I mean, you, you know, it's, it's, it's circumstance. It's having talent first and foremost. You know the players' league cliche is there for a reason, and you you really got to have the talent. And then, um, yeah, I, I mean, I think a playoff situation is is even better for Tom than a regular season. There are no back to backs in in the playoffs. Players typically play longer minutes. They want to play. They don't want to sit out. They don't want to have a reduced uh, role. Um, I think by and large, I mean now you know there's certain guys that. They may have a different vision of their role and that hits home most in the uh in the postseason because you know, you can't squander uh game opportunities. Um, you know, Obi Toppin from what we heard last spring. Um, you know, well, he's not here anymore for the yeah. Knicks. Um and I think that's, that's well within the, the, the domain of a coach to, uh, to make that sort of a decision on who plays, who doesn't. Yeah, I don't see any reason whatsoever. And look, these staffs are so big right now. I mean, back in the day when I started covering the league in the eighties, um, you know, you had two assistants by then, generally speaking. Yeah. And so your head coach, he would complement his personality with one or two of those assistants. So if he was a bad cop, somebody was the good cop or vice versa. And now, I mean, you've got a whole squad of uh, so-called cops or uh, hand holders or father confessor types. I mean, there's just, you know, so many people, I mean, you almost have a one-on-one relationship between a coach and a player um there's enough in terms of the ratio at least yeah, to have yeah. That. so yeah i can't think of a, a real reason that that tom wouldn't be successful you have you have additional brain power uh, not that he he needs any um in, in regarding you know strategy and but but everybody needs uh, help and um no i think i would love to see him in a, as a, with a chance to uh coaching you know uh in the finals i think the, he coached in the conference finals with chicago i believe
1: yeah and, the, the first um, first year and they unfortunately ran into
2: uh the right LeBron i mean that year. was you know that was the the super friends in miami and <laughs> lebron was a thorn in a lot of people's sides and, yeah. and uh, so was he there so um you only get so many opportunities particularly if you don't have the best uh the best talent
1: a couple more, and then getting a chat here. To speak of uh, having the best talent, Jalen Brunson, you know, might not be the most talented guy, but in terms of, um, I think, just uh, much like Tom was when he came here to New York, exactly what the Knicks needed at the time that they got him. Uh, again, someone who's kind of followed tips over the course of his career and followed the league for as, and covered the league for as long as you do. Um, is that? I mean, to me, it just seems like a match made in heaven. Uh, do you see kind of a symbiosis there between head coach and, and point guard?
2: Well, uh, yeah, I think so. Um, you know, the ultimate point guard for, for uh, Tom was Derrick Rose uh, in 2010, 2011. Um, you know, that was, that was a match made in heaven. I mean, Derrick yeah. did um, everything that Tom wanted, and Tom has sort of been looking for that in one form or another. With Derek and others um, since that time. Um, But yeah, I think it's great. I mean, you know, you know, you know, the next situation of the history better probably than I do. But I mean, in terms of free agent additions, I can't think of one that's gone better for New York than Jalen Brunson.
1: I I think it's a it, 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 see the problem is these conversations get clouded because you could look at Alan Houston's first several years went great okay. and then the second contract not so good. Amare started off good, then from there, you know, right. and then you're right. getting into guys like you know like Anthony Mason was a free agent signing once upon a time and like John Starks, but those are kind of in a different category, you know. I think for for when you think of like free agent signing, it's I think Brunson's number one already.
2: Well, I know it wasn't Marvin Webster if you want to go back, <laughs> but. um, you're I going mean, back on that. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, you're right. I mean, there's still a little bit of a honeymoon period here with Brunson. A little bit. Yeah. I think a lot of us in the media thought when Dallas didn't re-up him, that was a mistake on the Mavericks part. And that was a real um, boon for the uh, for the Knicks. And it, and, and it has played out that way.
1: And you voted, uh, Jalen Brunson, I should say, runner up for uh, most approved la- player last year, which you know sign of, of how much he improved. I guess the, the, the last thing you know, again, kind of zooming out and you cover the whole league. So I feel like you'd be a perfect person to ask this. In my mind, the Knicks are in a place where, you know, again, they're they're not going to win a championship this season, but they kind of just need to keep the good vibes going. I felt like last year was a very positive year. Obviously, winning first round of playoffs is a good thing. And to maintain, you know, their their position as not only a team with assets that can make a big trade, but a team that the person they're trading for is going to be excited to come play here and play with Jalen Brunson, play for Tom Thibodeau, that sort of thing. Do you kind of see things the same way or, or do you see see the goals for this team differently this year?
2: No, I would agree with that. I think that, um, you know, that's been talked about for a while that either they want to um, trade for a, a uh, you know, a quarterstone type piece, uh, you know, um, a, a ready to go uh, franchise leading kind of talent, at least someone on par with, with Brunson. Um, and by developing the players they do have that will that will turn them into better assets in a trade where yeah. they'll be able to entice somebody for instance and i hate i hate to go there just because i i think there's lots of time in basketball between now and when anything really becomes serious for the Milwaukee bucks yeah. but if if you're going to try to be the team that offers the most for giannis yeah just as if you're the team trying to offer the most for damian lillard um, you, you know, you need to have pretty attractive talent in return. Otherwise, now you're going to be dependent on third or fourth teams, multi team deals. The numbers get more complicated that way. So, you know, you might look at training camp and say, well, okay, you know, quickly is a little better. And uh, Barrett, is he going to be as good as he was in the, in the playoffs? Um, you know, how about Grimes, you know, whatever. Um, if those guys, improve their games little by little and all yes. of a sudden a team that yeah. looks like they have to lose the big name guy will say, well, that can help us. I mean, I was, I was in college in Milwaukee when the bucks had to trade Kareem uh. and they got some good pieces and they were one of the best teams in the NBA throughout the eighties because of some of those pieces like Brian Winters and, and, and junior Bridgman. And for a little while, David Myers. Um, but. Um, You know, they never got over the top. Uh, The titles and the rings went with Kareem, but it um, it it can make a difference between you. you Look at you. Look at what's the residue in Minnesota from the Kevin Garnett trade, or what was soon after. I mean, they got about five or six guys and a couple of draft picks, and it, it all washed away because the guy, the best player in the trade, he went to the team that that you know thrived with him and a little off topic here. The Knicks want that to be them. They want the best player in the trade to come to them. But if you're offering value back, it just improves your chances of getting that guy in the door.
1: It's just funny you say, well, we're, we're a long way away. It already feels like the topic that is topic number one amongst people who cover the league, right? The honest thing. I mean, how how could it be Anything else? Um, yeah.
2: Well, I'd put it. I'd put it at two behind uh, Lillard until that. Oh, one.
1: Well, in terms of
2: immediacy, sure. By the time <laughs> this is posted, that will already be, be done. So you never know. It could. It could happen at any point. But yeah, it is. I mean, you know, there's a lot. Like I said, there's a lot that has to go on. It doesn't make financial sense for um, Giannis to sign an extension this fall. It's to the Bucks' benefit that he not sign it from the standpoint that he can sign for longer, and they'll have him for longer if uh, if he waits. Now, they'd rather have the security, I'm sure. But still, that's that's something to be gained if it doesn't happen. And my honest opinion is that Giannis has a lot to prove this year as well. Not that he won't be worth whatever extension he'll merit, he'll be a max guy, and, and so on. But, you know, I want to see improvement in him. He, I mean, he can't be missing you know 17 free throws or or whatever it was you know in a in an elimination game like he did against uh, Miami he can't he's got to have improvement in his shot because as athletic and and freakish as his skills are um you know that's gonna wane uh when he hits 30 and beyond. So he he needs to have and it'll just make his job easier if he has a reliable go-to move. I mean, he has, he was working out recently with uh Hakeem Elijah Yeah, I couldn't think that. of a better, a better uh you know tutor for, for Giannis. No. And um hopefully Hakeem didn't get too frustrated at, at some <laughs> of Giannis's uh you know bricks that he might have put up there, but no, it's uh so, like I say, there's a lot I think on both sides. Giannis doesn't have to accept, I guess, some of the challenges that he's responsible. But if he's going to call out teammates and he's going to call out management, saying, "Well, they better be doing everything they can to win," he better be doing everything he can to win as well. So, I, speaking of a call- side sermon,
1: yeah, no, no. Speaking of calling out, I mean, you know, ESPN had their poll today of 15, you know, front office people, scouts, or whatever. Found it interesting that 15 people they asked about who's going to be the best player in the league in five years. Not one said Giannis, which I thought was that's interesting. Yeah. yeah. I thought, I mean, a few said he was best player in the league right now, which I, I think that's fair game. But it, it just it dovetails with what you just said about how once he gets past 30 and the athleticism starts to go, what does he have to fall back on? What improvements is he going to make in his game? I think that's absolutely a fair game. So good. Great call by you. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, they all are until they're proven wrong.
1: <laughs> yes. Yeah, such, such that, that's life.
2: happened plenty.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, Steve, I really can't thank you enough for the time. Again, uh, coming on on short notice, a fantastic interview. Again, uh, just go to NBA.com. And not only the uh, Q&A with uh, Tom Thibodeau, which I purposely didn't want to get too much into uh, today because I want people to go actually read it. It's a great question and answer. And he gives some really uh, revealing answers about young players on the team, chances for this upcoming season, but also all of your Q&As with other coaches that you've been doing over the previous um, few weeks. And uh, the link to Steve's page on NBA.com dot uh, com to the Thibodeau article and, and everything else will be right in the description to this podcast. So if you're listening and you want to check it out, just uh, click there. Uh, Steve, thank you so much for the time. Really, truly. Oh, you're very
2: welcome, Jonathan. Yeah. Thanks for having me and uh, looking forward to this season. So um, yeah, I'm sure we'll talk again.
1: Would love nothing more. Thanks so much. All right. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Steve. Go, uh, go check out all of his stuff for NBA.com again. Um, really great Q and A's that he did with not just Tibbs, but with other coaches as well. And he he writes about the legal year long. So always check out his stuff. Um, We are going to have another episode drop in on Friday. That is going to be officially our last evergreen episode of the summer. And then, and then camp opens on Monday. It's around the corner. I can't believe we're already here. So a lot to look forward to. Um, Don't forget if you dig the show, um, subscribe obviously but also give us a rating five star rating and and drop a review those things help us out and i think that's it so we'll talk to you later peace out